0: And I began to think that if our Minister of Immigration in Canada were to put out a statement like this, uh, a full, free invitation to all the people or nations of the world to come to Canada, my, we'd be overpopulated in no time. The whole of the world would come to Canada because all the immigration laws are down. All the restrictions are, are set aside. All the nations of the world are included here. Now, when the Lord Jesus uh, was preaching the gospel, he told his disciples to go into the highways and the byways and to compel men to come in. welcome to let the bible speak this is pastor ian golher and it is my joy again to bring you the message of the gospel now today we are bringing you the word on look unto me all ye ends of the earth and be ye saved this is the great invitation to every soul to be saved saved from your sins saved from a lost eternity saved from the judgment day when you will give account for every deed done in the body and every word uttered on your lip. You will stand before God, and then you will need a Savior. And Jesus says, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. We also have a hymn today, I'd Rather Have Jesus. And our psalm is the well-known Psalm 14, which says, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. When D.L. Moody was conducting evangelistic meetings across the country, he frequently faced hecklers. In the final service of one campaign, an usher handed him a note as he entered the auditorium. Supposing to be an announcement, Moody quieted the large audience and prepared to read the notice he opened it to find a single word, fool. But he told the audience that this was most unusual. He said, I have just been handed a message which consists of but one word, the word fool. I repeat, this is most unusual. I have often heard of those who have written letters and forgotten to sign their names. But this is the first time I have ever heard of anyone who signed his name and forgot to write the letter. Then he promptly changed his text to the Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. A theist is a man who knows and confesses that God is. He sees God in all that he is and does. An agnostic is a middle person who says, I don't know. He works from the premise of ignorance. He is happy to sit on the fence and allow others to form their opinions, whereas he is not convinced either way. An atheist is a man who has determined that there is no God. He steps out in blatant denial of all evidence to the contrary. King David lived a thousand years before Christ, and only a thousand years after Noah's flood, and already there were atheists. In reality, there is no such thing as atheism, but a shifting of the throne from God's right to reign to the throne of man and man's right to rule himself. He makes himself to be his own God, and there lies the greatest of problems. Now, note in verse 1 that atheism is not due to lack of information or intellect. In spite of information, it is a matter of the heart. No matter how much evidence or how many arguments you give to the natural man with a fallen sinful heart, he will still deny to bow his knee to the Lord. Well, May this Psalm 1 challenge your heart today, and may it bring you to realize that the fool had said in his heart, there is no God. May the Lord bless you today. Stay tuned with us here as we come now to our message and song, i rather of Jesus, and then Isaiah 45, 22, looking unto Jesus. i And I want you to find an idol, an image, a photograph of a person, a picture, that will take your eyes off the Lord Jesus. Indeed, we have this very text. Behold the Lamb of God. You are to look unto, get your eyes fixed upon the Lamb of God. Now, He's called the Lamb of God because He is our Savior. He's the one who went to the cross. He suffered on that tree. He was a substitute, a sacrifice in our place. And when He suffered on that cross, He poured out His blood. And you're to look. Look to the blood of Jesus. That's the object of your salvation. Faith in his blood. That's how you're saved. And this is the very simplicity of it all. Now, in the Lord's own invitations to be saved, he always said, come, come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where did Jesus point men to go? Come unto me. He pointed to himself. There is not one other religious leader in all of history that could do that, to point men to themselves to seek people to be saved. Now you are commanded. This is the simplicity. And it's because it's so simple that many people miss it. It's like wheels on the car. You know, the car wasn't invented first. The wheel was first. But when somebody says, well, would you let it come and take a look at my car? You don't say to them, well, would you let it come and look at the wheels? But surely the wheels have to be the fundamental part of it all. And you know that when a wheel comes off. Don't lose sight of the simplicity of the saving power and grace in the person of the Lord Jesus. You're to look to him as your redeemer on the cross. Look to his sufferings, look to his blood, look to his redemption, look to him as conqueror. He conquered death, he conquered the grave, he conquered hell, he conquered the devil, and he is your conqueror. Now, the Bible tells us you need to be saved. And when you come to that position, I need a savior. I need to be saved. Here's the one. He's the conqueror. Where are you to find him now? The Bible tells us he's at the right hand of the Father. He's no longer on the cross. We do not use a crucifix to find our Lord Jesus. He's no longer in the tomb. We do not build little figurines of tombs and ask people to find Jesus there. He's gone. He's risen and he's ascended to his Father, and there you're to look. You're to seek him with all your heart because he's at the right hand of God. Then those who believe in the Lord Jesus, they look for him coming again. He will come in the clouds. He will come at the end of the world. He will come for his saints. And there will be a gathering of the people of God to meet the Lord in the air. And what a glorious day that will be. And it will be looking unto Jesus, keeping our eyes upon him that will prepare us for that day. Now, this is simple, isn't it? Look unto the Lord Jesus. But don't miss the blessing because it's so simple to look what does it mean? It means to turn on to, to turn onto. If someone was uh, knocked down by a truck out on the car, out on the roadway, and the truck came whizzing by and injured the person, left them lying, bleeding and dying on the pavement, what would the person do? If he had the strength at all, he would begin to look for help. He would turn to wherever he could find help. He would turn his head, turn his eyes, and cry, help. That's what you're to do today. You're to realize that you're lost, injured by sin, dying in your own body. You need a Savior. And you're to look, turn, and call upon him with all your heart. Now, I want you to look at the scope of this look. It says, look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. All the ends of the earth. What, a, what an amazing statement this is. Here is the universal offer of the gospel. Now, if for any reason the Lord wished to restrict the offer of salvation, if it was his intent that he would drive men away from life, or the enjoyment of salvation, surely he would have used the very opposite of these words. He would have qualified it. He would have put in some little clause to restrict who may come. What does he say? Look unto me, all the ends of the earth. And here the Lord leaves himself open to a flood of inquiries from the very nations of the world. And I began to think that if our Minister of Immigration in Canada were to put out a statement like this, uh, a full, free invitation to all the people or nations of the world to come to Canada, my, we'd be overpopulated in no time. The whole of the world would come to Canada because all the immigration laws are down. All the restrictions are are set aside. All the nations of the world are included here. Now, when the Lord Jesus uh, was preaching the gospel, he told his disciples to go into the highways and the byways and to compel men to come in. And when we are sent out to preach the gospel to sinners, we're not to restrict it in any way and say, well, you might be included and you might not. We're not to say, well, we're not even sure if you can be saved. We are to give the full, free, wonderful offer that the gospel is to, and what is the Bible word? Whosoever. We learned that in Revelation 22, 17. He that is thirsty, yes, but whosoever, whosoever. Let him come and take the water of life freely. Now, I know in your heart today there is a spirit of reluctance and say, well, I don't think this is for me. You know, I've just happened to come to church today when this text is being uh, spoken about, uh, when this gospel is being preached, but it's not me. This is not God's voice to my heart this is not God including me. There is somewhere a restriction that it doesn't include me. Well, let's hear it. What would it be? What has God said? What has God done that you cannot be saved? Whereas he says, John 6:37, all they that come to me, I will for no reason cast out I will, all that come, I will for no reason cast out. In Hebrews 7, it speaks that the blood of Jesus saves men to the uttermost, the uttermost. And I have heard preachers preach on that text, and it says, from the guttermost to the uttermost, the drunkard, the drug addict, the vilest sinner in town is included. And the blood of Jesus has all the efficacy, all the power to wash away the sins of all who come to him. And if you come today, you can look to him and it says, be saved, be saved. That's the scope of this great message. Now, you'll notice that it is an abundant offer. It's an abundant offer. There is every grace offered through the Lord Jesus. There is need for nothing else. Everything's included. Uh, In the New Testament, it's put this way, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, because Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. And if you trust him, look to him you will be saved. And then there's another verse in Titus 3, which says, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And if you have the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have this abundance of life. Here's the scope of it. So it covers all men who will come. It covers every need of your soul. And it includes all the riches of heaven. There is no limitation. Now, this leads me to say this. There's no such thing as being halfway into heaven. There's no such thing as halfway out of hell. You're either going to heaven or hell. You either have eternal life in its absolute utmost package, or you have no life and you are totally lost. Do not consider yourself as sitting on the fence halfway to or halfway from. You are either absolutely 100% born again, washed in the blood, saved for heaven, sure of eternal life, or you're 100% damned. That's what the Bible says. He that believeth in me is saved, and he that believeth not is condemned already. Condemned already. There's no halfway to. And this is the amazing scope of this gospel. Now, do not miss the abundant nature of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. I fear, I fear that some will miss this, will miss the simplicity of it, miss the scope of it, But I want you to consider the assurances that are given to those who look. It says right in this text, Look unto me, and be ye saved. Now, this is assurance of complete salvation. And I have to say, as a gospel preacher, I love the word saved. I heard a radio preacher one day saying that uh, God never used the word saved. Well, uh, what Bible was he reading? Did he have the right book? If you open the Bible, you will see that this is a commonly used word. And when I witness to people, when I go with invitations and talk to them about their salvation, I ask the question Are you saved? Because that defines and declares the state of a man's soul if a person says to me, "Uh, what do you mean? Well, I know that I have to go right to the ABCs and explain what the gospel is and why men are lost and need a Savior. If they say, yes, I'm saved, I will ask them, well, who's your Savior? And usually it's a discussion that they have trusted the Lord Jesus as their own Lord and Redeemer. Now you'll see here that saved is an all-comprehensive term for the conversion of our souls, and it covers the past, the present, and the future. Hallelujah! It's not a matter of being saved for a day. Now, we had a discussion on this in our adult Sunday school class this morning. I won't cover all that ground again. But what an awful gospel it would be if your salvation was for 24 hours. Would you enjoy it? Not for a moment you wouldn't enjoy it. You'd be so busy watching the clock, the time running out, that you couldn't enjoy salvation at all. But this is an offer that you will be saved today. Saved tomorrow and saved for all eternity. Now we have this assurance because of the person that's in view here. You'll notice that I am the Lord. We're well, going back now to the end of verse 21 and there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. Who is He? He's God. God that's speaking. And he says, I am a just God and a Savior. Now, can you believe him? Can you believe God? Can he deceive? Can he, can he lie? Will he break his promises? Down in verse 30, 23, uh, the same person speaks again, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness." and shall not return. Here is the God who swears, who gives a covenant promise, and he will not break his word. And then in verse 24, you have the provision that is made in Christ. Surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength. And that's the great need of every sinner to have the righteousness of the Lord Jesus, the clothing, the perfect garment of God's salvation through the Lord Jesus. Now, I let others argue that point, whether salvation's past, present, or future, but I'm going to believe the Bible, that this gospel includes every day, every year, and all eternity. So. Will you obey the gospel? That really comes the question here today. We have looked at this, I trust, from every angle, but will you obey the gospel? Have you looked unto the Lord Jesus and been saved, or is there an idol in your life? Now, I'm not going to accuse you of bowing down to some statue or man-made image, or some picture, or some shrine. I won't accuse you of that today. If it's true, that would be horrible. That would be the very thing that God would want to direct you away from. But still, there is an idol in every man's heart that needs to be surrendered. And it's the idol of self, the idol of trusting in yourself. And I've told you before about talking to people and say, I'm good. What they mean by that, of course, I understand is, I'm just fine, I can take care of myself. I don't need a savior. Now, that is the attitude of the vast majority of people today, and if it's your attitude, you're not a Christian, you're not saved, you don't have a savior because you're trusting in yourself. Now, many people fight this because they want to have control. They want to be in control of their own destiny. They want to be in control of their own future. I myself will take care of this. And of course, it's folly, absolute folly. It is to court absolutely ruin, and it's the way to be lost. And if you're saying today, I don't have a savior, I'm trusting in myself, then you need to be saved. You need to come and say, Lord, I believe the Bible. I hear the invitation, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth and be ye saved for I am God and there's none else. And I believe this promise. And I will pray, and I will call upon the Lord, and I will invite the Lord into my heart to be my savior. I want to tell you about a 15-year-old boy back in England, in London. He was trying to go to his normal church meeting, but it was a snowy day, and the snow was so deep that he couldn't make it to his normal church. And he called in at what was a Methodist meeting. And he took a back seat. And because of the snow, the regular preacher didn't arrive. One of the deacons of the church, not prepared at all, got into the pulpit, led the service, opened the Bible, and took this very text, Isaiah 45, 22. And in a very simple fashion, just rehearsed the verse over and over, and then he looked down at that young 15-year-old sitting in the back row, and he said, "Young man, look to Jesus and live." That young man will see its virgin, and that's how he came to Christ. And on the basis of this text and God's word, became a Christian, later a preacher. You may have even read some of his writings, but if that 15 year old boy can be saved on the basis of Isaiah 45, so can you. Dare I point, dare I say, young man, it's time for you to be saved. It's time for you to look onto Jesus. Stop looking anywhere else. Stop looking at yourself thinking you're good enough, that you're okay. Because if you died as you are right now, you'd be lost, 100% lost in the fires of hell. And no one else can save you. And the Lord speaks today, look unto me and be ye saved. Will you do that? Will you do that personally? Ask the Lord to save your soul. I have a little booklet I'd like to give you. It's called, A New Beginning. I'd be happy to share that with you, and in that will be a guide that will direct you how you can know the way of salvation.